Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am Michael Sherlock, your host. And you know, this month we are talking about the magic of marketing, how a little pixie dust thrown here and there will magically make all your clients just bang down your door. Or perhaps maybe you actually have to do some work. <laughs> so my guest today is going to have a really unique perspective on this. Mike Maynard is the managing director and CEO of the Napier Group. It's a $7 million PR and marketing agency for B2B technology companies. He's a self-confessed geek, which I love which strangely enough means he loves talking about technology. I can't imagine how that happens. He actually learned as an engineer, but don't let you don't hold that against him <laughs> because engineers also have that really laser-like focus on measurement, accountability, and innovation. And that means that together with what he does with his company, he helps his clients achieve their marketing goals sooner. So he'll tell us a little bit about Napier, but it's an agency that brings knowledge, experience, and insight to increase the speed of prospects travel through clients' funnels, generating opportunities more quickly. And don't we all want that? We want to get from where they're the, uh, the potential prospect to when they become our client. And he has a unique approach to campaign strategy designs in speed to uh, have the campaigns from the outset be building integrated campaigns that focus on the important tactics, whether clients need to increase awareness, sometimes generate leads all the time, or engage those contacts appropriately to create opportunities. <laughs> and we know how all those things work together. So joining me from across the pond is Mike Maynard. Thank you for joining me today, Mike. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yes, and I love to say across the pond. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as, if, as if there's not a lot of ponds everywhere. Well, I love hitting your highlights. I love the fact that you're an engineer and that's you know kind of your basis because I think that this is going to be a great dynamic conversation because regardless of thinking that magical pixie dust is going to come down and make our marketing all of a sudden more effective, we do know that it takes a different kind of strategy. So Tell us a little bit more in your words about you, your company, and how you help your clients to shock their potential. Sure. So, um, I, as you said, I started off as an engineer in my career um, and did some cool things, you know, designed some uh, mixing desks for recording studios, um, worked with lasers that would burn through brick, which was very cool and a little bit wow. scary when I was testing the stuff that I designed, trusted <laughs> everybody else. Um, but eventually I realized that I didn't really enjoy the development of all these um, uh, different systems. I actually much preferred um, to talk about technology. So the first step I took in my career was to become uh, a technical support engineer, um, working with semiconductor companies, so mm -hmm. helping other engineers design in silicon chips, and then eventually moved into marketing. Um, and back in 2001, I... Uh, took the step I actually um, bought Napier. Mm -hmm. um, the two founders were retiring. Um, and so that, that's really what, how I came into running an agency. 
and it was all somewhat accidental. I don't think any of this was planned at all. Um, <laughs> but it, it led me to an agency where I could actually, you know, get my inner geek out and talk about technology. Um, but at the same time, you know, also work on marketing. Um, and, and it seems to have worked well. I mean, we're certainly helping uh, clients, you know, across the, the you know, the, the spectrum of different applications, um, grow their business um, through marketing. And that's really our goal is to, to help them do that. Mike, that is a big jump from engineering to marketing. <laughs> it, it it took a couple of steps. And, and I have to say, um, you know, I, I was very tempted um, into the technical support role because uh, in the UK at the time, used to get a car as part of the job. And it was incredibly tax efficient to get a car. And so you got a much better car than you could personally afford. And <laughs> being, you know, a young guy at the time, that was clearly the most important thing in the world. And, you know, so, so these moves, you know, whilst they made a lot of sense, actually the things that drove me to do them were, were kind of random. Mm -hmm. Well, I can understand that. I remember I actually uh, spent some time in pharmaceutical sales and I remember that the most exciting thing, and my father was still alive at that time. And he was so excited because I got a Ford Explorer and he, <laughs> I, by the time I got my second one, because you get a new one every, you know, however many miles, mm -hmm. he went to the dealer to make sure that I was going to get the one I wanted. I'm like, dad, I get whatever they send me. He's like, no, that's not how this works. You need to, <laughs> so I ended up with a, you know, a fancier one than my colleagues. Cause my dad was like, no, I'm going to go talk to them at the Ford dealership. We'll work this out. <laughs> Yeah, the, the car things were, were were big in the UK at the time, and, and it was all about status. You had to have the best car. It was very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Which becomes, you know, marketing in and of itself. You could just market yourself that way. They're like, oh, there goes Mike. He must have gotten a new job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's the one visible sign. You know, people can see what car you're driving. They don't know how much you get paid. That's true. I, yeah. That is very true. <laughs> and then when, yeah, when my, I probably had, I think, four or five company cars because I was driving all the time. So I went through them. And I remember the day that I, I left that and I, I, I had to give up the car and I had to go buy a car. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I had to do that when I uh, when I acquired Napier. And people asked me, they said, are you going to run company cars? And I said, no, no, no. no. And, and my excuse was the tax laws had changed. and It was less tax efficient, which technically was true. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the truth was I knew what a nightmare I was about arguing about the car I wanted. And so therefore, I didn't want anyone else to be the same to me. So uh, it was you. a way to get rid of a lot of stress. And, and, and it is a lot easier now. And, and actually... In the UK, it's changed that it's much, much more advantageous to actually buy your own car. So pretty much everybody <laughs> buys or leases their own car. Yeah. And not that we need to hammer on this, but my husband and I living in downtown Philadelphia, we actually sold my car, the car that I finally bought after pharma. And uh, I, we sold my car, I think it's been 10 years now. And uh, because we don't need it, you know, we just had it parked anyway. And so we're actually contemplating a move um, very soon and we're going to have to buy a car and we're both terribly depressed because it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you enjoy having one, but when you don't have one and you don't have the headaches of it, it's quite lovely. But tell me about, you know, moving into, you know, especially buying your own agency and buying Napier and buying something that already existed. Um, how did you take your, your analytical engineering brain and really use some of that to your advantage in the marketing and PR space? So, so that's a, a great question. And, um, you know, actually what, what I did when I started was I could see that the world of marketing was changing. Um, so, uh, you know, back at, at the start of, start of the century, sounds so long ago, um, 
but uh, <laughs> back at the start of the century when I, I, I bought Napier, um, you know, I could see that things were moving away from, you know, publications controlling everything, digital was becoming more important, you know, email marketing was happening. And things were really changing. And I thought, this is an opportunity to build an agency that is much less around um, the idea of agency lovies who go, oh, darling, it's fantastic to see you. You're a great friend. And you go, never met you in my life before. But um, And it, it was moving away from that to be much more analytical. And so I was able to, to take that engineering background and crunch the numbers. Um, and, and actually, subsequently, um, I did some lecturing at a local university. And, and I think I... I got every single PR student in the course to hate me oh, because I actually made them talk about Excel and analytics. But oh, to me, that's the most important thing that students should be doing now is, is learning how to analyze performance because that's what matters. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think one of the biggest changes is that numbers is not really analysis. And, and that, that perhaps is what engineering has brought more than the ability to crunch the numbers mm -hmm. is to understand what matters. Yes. That's I'm taking notes as you go, because I totally agree. We're, we're doing that within my company right now, where we finally, you know, have enough data to really, you know, see what it means and use it to make choices. And, you know, the fun of, you know, this series is, you know, because I think there's a lot of people that still think marketing is something that is all about creative and creative is important, but it's not the only important part. In fact, it's probably not the most important part. Because you can have something that's maybe not necessarily creative, but it it has it does what you need. And if you're watching the right things, you can see that. Um, I don't have an ana analytical mind, so until I brought a team on who could start to actually look at the numbers and see, you know, what made sense, I was like, I don't know, throw it out there, let's see what works. <laughs> and as I built my team, they're like, um, that's not how we do this. <laughs> I said, I know it's probably not, but I didn't know how to do it and I didn't want to do it. That's why I hired you. <laughs> yeah, but I think also that that to a certain extent, the great thing about the analytics is it gives that freedom for creativity. So yes. um, you can say, I want to try this. And actually the only correct response from the, from the numbers people in your team should be, well, we can try it um, because yes. you don't always know what will work. And I mean, Google yes. Ads is is... Probably, I, I think it's the product that probably has hurt the most marketers' egos because so often you find the ad that you think is going to work best doesn't work best. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, trying different stuff, being creative hasn't gone away. And, and that's a real myth that, that all the analytics hasn't taken away creativity and ideas. It's actually made it much easier to test and, and frankly, much easier to test wilder ideas sometimes as well. I agree. And that's, you know, it's been interesting because we're playing with, uh, you know, we really took some time off at the end of 2020 to evaluate what we had been doing and not continue to push stuff out as we got closer to the holidays anyway. But really, you know, I mean, it was kind of a, um, you know, a little bit of a risk itself, but we really like pulled back from all of our major activities just to analyze and, and come up with mm -hmm. what we wanted our 2021 strategy to look like and knowing that we're going to evaluate as we go. And I think it was smart on our part. It's it's worked out really well. But to your point, I was just saying this to somebody else, another guest um, uh, this month is, you know, there's a, a television commercial that has, it's from an insurance company in the US and I won't name what it is. I do know now, <laughs> but I won't name what it is because I don't want somebody to be listening and go and get their feelings hurt. But it's, it's one of the most creative ads. I love it. My husband and I, every time it comes on, we will actually, if it's, if we have the TV on, we will actually stop what we are doing 
and rewind it and watch it a couple times. And we were doing this the other day, this weekend. And all of a sudden, like after the fifth time, because we were having fun with the song and everything, my husband said, do you know what insurance company it is? And I said, I have no idea. And by that time we had listened to it a dozen times <laughs> and neither one of us could tell. So we stopped and went back and watched for that. So now we know, but I thought, oh, that's not good. <laughs> there's, there's been lots of cases like that. I mean, some of the, you know, the big award-winning ads when people have done the research mm -hmm. actually turns out that nobody had any idea what company was being advertised. I mean, the ad looked amazing, it looked like a feature film, but you know, it just looked like a feature film to most people who saw it. And it didn't actually achieve what, what they wanted to achieve, which is to sell product. Right, exactly. And so that's where the analytics really come in. I mean, you can yeah. see how well it performs in terms of how many people watch it or duration of the ad, but until you test, like there's a big conference uh, in Philadelphia every year. And one of the things I really appreciate about their follow-up survey is that uh, within a day you get, you know, the survey that says, thank you for coming, mm -hmm. you know, and it asks you the typical things about what you think of the keynote speakers and the breakout sessions. But um, it asks you throughout things about, do you know, do you remember the name of the primary sponsor? Do you remember the name of the <laughs> yeah. secondary sponsor or any of the top five sponsors? That's brilliant. And the first year I couldn't tell you. And right. then I looked at my bag and I went, oh, well, now I know who it was, the primary sponsor. But then it really made me stop and pay more attention. So the next couple of years mm -hmm. that I went, I was really looking to see how the sponsors were displaying and asking myself, would I, would I know this um, otherwise? And I think that that's the real question is not, did you have a great time at the conference? Did you network? Did that meet all your objectives? But did we deliver on our promise to our sponsors that they were going to be memorable or that, that our, you know, that our, our um, participants were going to actually gain some traction for that organization, that company. And I love that point. And I think, you know, to, to bring it up to today, actually, that's probably more important than ever because these virtual events, it's more difficult to promote that sponsor than it is in a live event. And it's pretty tough in a live event to get people going away remembering the sponsor details. So, you know, I mean, actually, from our point of view, we think people are probably going to start running more of their own events rather than just sponsoring in the virtual world. Um, so, you know, and, and that's partly related to, the, to the, you know, that problem about mm -hmm. sponsor recognition but for sure you know all you know organizations that are running events and asking those questions they get it they understand what the problem is and, and they're the ones who'll get it right i'm sure because they have the information yeah and sponsorship is really interesting this is the first time for my company that we have been seeking sponsors so sponsors for the podcast mm -hmm. um, but also sponsors for our app that we have our shock your potential app and then you know, another uh, couple events that we've got coming up. And it's the first time I've, you know, we've been in a place where we could generate sponsors that we know that we have the traction and the following for it. But it's been really important for me to test and retest what we're doing so that that people um, get it. And I actually was talking to somebody yesterday who said, oh, I was listening to one of your podcasts and your commercial about uh, something from our January issues. Uh, where we're actually promoting, you know, one of our, one of the other companies that, mm -hmm. that I own. And he said, I remembered it and you spelled it out. And he goes, and I went, ah, oh, I need that. I knew I needed that. I know we've talked about it, but until I heard it in your podcast and you spelled it out, it's sunk into my head. And I'm like, thank God I'm doing one thing right. <laughs> <laughs> That's <Hallelujah>. brilliant. <laughs> 
So when you work with clients, and I know you've worked with clients all over the globe, you know, what it does, despite where your clients are, does it, are there differences because of where they are on the globe? Or are we still talking about, you know, the same thing that no matter what analytics and, and systems really drive outcomes, or do you see differences based on other parts of the world? So that's a really um, interesting one to unpack because yes, there's absolutely differences in different parts of the world, but the reality is there's, there's a lot more similarities. Um, and a lot of the differences are kind of superficial. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if I look at, at uh, Europe, for example, um, when you talk about football, it's very different to talking about football in America, um, which which us Brits like to call padded rugby because clearly those guys are, uh, you know, a little bit wimpy. They need pads. Um, so, so I have you know, seen a rugby match, and man, yeah, I, I'm gonna agree with you. That is brutal. Yeah, I've never played the sport. Want to play the sport? It's fine. <laughs> um, but you get those differences, and people get really excited about them. But they're not huge differences. Generally speaking, a lot of what works works fairly consistently. Now there are cultural differences. Um, so if you look at the culture, you know, even in Europe, for example, um, you know, the culture in Italy is is very much around relationships and people, and particularly in business. Um, whereas if you look at the culture in the UK, it's much more like America, where maybe it's more contractual and, and uh, much more about, um, you know, trying to get the best price and the best product um, and, and perhaps a shorter term relationship than maybe the Italian longer term. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at Germany, Germany is an amazing country. I love um, looking at Germany because you talk to them and they, they, they are very ingrained in their process. And this is why Germany is great at manufacturing and great at consistently manufacturing high quality products is because they talk about workflow. Um, and so, you know, I mean, we were working with a client um, who sold data storage. I mean, you think, well, it's just storage. You're going to store data in it. And this one is really fast. It's designed for supercomputers. So it, it's really cool. Um, but you think you just talk about the performance and how it works. And, and in the UK, yeah, that, that works fine. In France, that works fine. In Germany, you go and talk about how it impacts the workflow and the process and how they produce the results. Um, and it's not, again, it's not completely different. We're still talking about some of the performance aspects, um, but it's presenting it in a slightly different way. And I think understanding those regional differences can be very, very interesting and very useful. But Equally, it's a huge mistake to overestimate those regional differences. We are, you know, most of us all human still. And, uh, you know, we all pretty much want the same things. You know, we, we want a nice job. We want a secure job. We don't want to screw up and look stupid. And, and, and that's pretty consistent across the world. Yeah, I love that's really interesting. You know, it's and it's important that we recognize these differences even more so. You know, it used to be that you maybe only needed to know those differences if you were, you know, actually traveling to a country and you needed to know that in Singapore, you know, in Japan, you hand your business card, you know, mm -hmm. with two hands yep. and it's a, you know, it's a very ceremonial, um, which now I actually like to do wherever I am. And people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's very important. I spent a lot of money on this business card, you know, <laughs> but in this, in this world where we have so many more virtual interactions, that understanding, I mean, I just thought that was fascinating to know that, you know, within, you know, Germany, if you're going to explain something, whether it's, you know, uh, data storage, or maybe teaching, you know, a leadership class, 
that you want to talk about how it impacts workflow to make it something that's very consistent with their values and and with what they you know have their you know what they're prideful of in terms of you know we're we're very proud of what we do in terms of workflow i think we need to be paying much more attention to that no matter what we're what business we're in absolutely i i mean we we laugh we we actually have a, a system we run all our agency accounts on um, that's built by German software engineers. It's a German company. Um, and one time I, you know, I phoned them up and this is folklore now, but it, it genuinely happened. Um, <laughs> sure. And I phoned them up and I said, I, I've got a problem. You know, your system does this and, and that's not what we want. And they go, well, that's how it works. And we said, <laughs> but we need it to do this. And they said, but it does not work that way. And I said, is there any way to get it to do this and they said it does not work that way and i thought i thought these, these guys you know said could i request a new feature and they said absolutely how can we help oh, very... <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's interesting and, and you know we, we can laugh about it because for us it's very obvious what we wanted yes but actually i can see from that slightly different culture they weren't being difficult. They were saying, no, 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 this, this is how it's been built. This is why we, there's a reason for it. Right. Um, and, and their answer, you know, partly because obviously my German is terrible and their English is brilliant. So, <laughs> so they're speaking English to me rather than me speaking German. It, it's a bit limited. It comes across a bit blunt. Yes. Um, but, but to me, those cultural differences are fascinating, but great because when you work out how to take campaigns and just tweak them for different countries, you can get some tremendous results and you can make, you can make campaigns feel like they're local campaigns, which a lot of people want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is fascinating. I can't wait to learn more. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break and hear from our sponsor. Solopreneurs and small businesses often struggle to create effective digital marketing programs. It's hard to know where to start, what to prioritize, how to sift through confusing information and solutions that seem too good to be true. Agencies and full-time marketing employees are also expensive. And Marketing You is a modern marketing course with all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your business without that extra set of hands or high overhead costs. At And Marketing You, you will learn exactly what you need to do to execute a concrete marketing strategy by dedicating just two to four hours per week. And Marketing You will help you to execute strategy, messaging, content marketing, SEO, social media, paid digital advertising, and more. You'll have access to on-demand resources, live courses, group coaching sessions, community forums, and networking, plus the exact templates and tools you need for success. I took this course myself, and one of the greatest benefits we gained was learning to develop a competitive strategy that aligned our social media playbook and website to generate highly qualified leads. For all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your small business at a fraction of the cost of hiring a traditional agency or additional employee, go to www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. Again, that's www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. And use the code SHOCK to receive 10% off of any program. 
Well, we are back with Mike Maynard from Napier and we, that I have just had so much fun look, you know, just even hearing that story about your, uh, your German software and, uh, and how to ask the right questions. Because if we ask the right questions in the right way, we typically will get the response, but sometimes we're too caught up in our own thought process, which is also what kind of leads me to our theme of the month, which I call the magic of marketing that I, I love the concept of people who think, well, if you just have the right ad, you know, everything's going to work, but there's so much more to it. So I've asked all my guests this month to share some tips, some ideas on how you would suggest that any of us can do better, get more out of our marketing. You know, how can we do more with what we have or look at what we're doing from a different light? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really interesting topic to talk about, Michael, because um, if you look at it, it isn't just about having the right ad, because if the right people don't see it, the ad isn't going to work. And, and, and that's that's really a very simple way to start. And, and for me, a lot of what really matters, particularly for our clients that, that are maybe selling in a business-to-business -business context, so they've perhaps got fairly complicated um, you know, groups of people making a decision, understanding who you're talking to and what they care about is really important. And obviously, from a marketing point of view, we talk about target audiences and segmenting those audiences. But basically, you've, you've got to work out you know, who do you need to convince and what's going to convince them. And it will be different from, for different people within that group um, for a lot of our clients. Mm -hmm. It really is. So, you know, when people, I, I think we've faced this before. I actually, we haven't done actually paid marketing within my company yet um, because we've done fairly well with, you know, how we've done social media management. Um, but we are reaching a point where we need to for a couple of things in particular and trying to make sure that we reach the right person, reach the target audience is um, there's a lot of uh, research that needs to go into that to make sure that you're not wasting advertising dollars. And I think that what I'm learning now from my company is that that's the actual marketing part of the process is not necessarily putting the ad out there, but making sure you've done the work beforehand to reach the right people and try to have the right message and then adapt and watch the analytics. So when you work with your clients, um, you know, what, what things are they looking for in the beginning that maybe you help them to understand? Maybe they don't have, maybe they need to shift their focus a little bit and see it from a different perspective. So we see a lot of challenges I mean, a lot of people understand what needs to be done and still struggle to get it right. I mean, I have to be honest, we, we have, you know, situations where we struggle to get it right and that's the great thing about digital is you can test you can yes. find out what works and what doesn't and then you can refine and make it work with the next step so um we see everybody struggle with this and i think the problem is is that there's particularly now with with marketing technology there's a lot of companies that are presenting their approach as, as the magic bullet solution you know mm -hmm. so if you look at google as an example i mean google's a great example you know, advertising on Google search can be magic for people. Um, but equally, it can also not be magic. If you get the wrong keyword, you can end up with um, the wrong people seeing your ad, you know. I mean, we worked with a, a client who did coding standards for software engineers. I mean, this is the niches of niche products, you know, that is how you physically write software to make it more maintainable. Um, and you think, this is easy. You just advertise around coding standards. Have you ever heard of anything around code? No, no, it's only software has ever. So anyway, it turns out 
actually that there are things called blood coding standards. Um, and unfortunately, software coding standards are the niches of niche. So people search more for blood coding standards than they do for software. So if you just take that logical um, approach, you end up advertising to the wrong audience, even though you've got what you think has got to be like the, the absolute unicorn solution there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's the same with, with many other things. You know, we, we have a lot of clients who um, do paid on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And they say, what we need to do is we need to influence this particular job, job title within the company. And quite often, it's not just that job title. And you may be able to influence them. You may be able to get them to talk about the product internally. But unless other people have been um, you know, engaged with and have seen information about your product, it's very hard for them to sell you know, something new internally. So it, it's understanding that audience is incredibly difficult. Um, and particularly because as marketeers, we like to come up with with simple, as I would call it as an engineer, a simple model. Mm-hmm. So, so marketeers, they, they, they love the idea of personas and customer journeys. <laughs> um, or, you know, ideal customer profile, I think, is mm-hmm. also something a lot of people, particularly in the States, are using instead of personas. Yes. Um, and as an engineer, it's a model. It, it's, it's sort of what we'd like to see in real life, but it's not quite perfect. Um, and, and that makes it even harder because... Yes, it's really helpful to do that because you're targeting, you know, the, if you like, the center of the target rather than just aiming to hit the target generally. Right. Um, But at the same time, you have this problem that every company is different. So balancing between the differences between companies and then the the desire to hit your, you know, perfect customer or your persona, it, it can get really difficult. It can be really hard. I've never thought of it that way. That's really interesting. Yeah, we've had the last five, six years, especially, you know, a lot of, and probably a little bit before that, but that's really when I got interested in it when I was working on my podcast was this concept of the avatar or the persona. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with it because I'm like, well, you know, I don't have one avatar, but I have, you know, kind of this, you know, bigger target that really is potential and you're right, a model will fit that better because then I can hit more potential rather than just trying to hit the bullseye <clears throat> because the bullseye, that's great. But what if I am losing everything else that could have been a little bit outside that while I'm only focusing on the quote unquote avatar or the bullseye? But but I think the bullseye analogy is absolutely perfect because you're aiming for the bullseye. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if uh, you've decided to take up archery, you're going to aim for the bullseye. That's where you're going to aim. And the reality is, is the rings that go out, they're close to the bullseye. Right. And so if you miss the bullseye, you're going to hit one of the rings. Yeah. Um, And it's exactly the same with the the persona or the avatar, is the avatar is this this perfect ideal, but your real customers are all gathered around that perfect ideal, Mm. and they're all very close. So actually... If you you target that that um, ideal person, you'll still be able to hit all the people who are the real people who are just slightly different. Yes, um, and it works. It works incredibly well. I mean, if if any of your audience are not using personas or ideal customers, it is one of the the I think the biggest recent innovations in in marketing. Um, certainly in terms of marketing theory that that has really um, moved marketing on. Um, over the last 30 years or so. Um, And that's even with all the digital change that have come along. I think, you know, personas have become an incredibly valuable tool. 
Well, and we have so much more data on it now, you know, when, because we're, we're so uh, ingrained in social media, you know, for those of us who actually, you know, my husband always laughs. He's like, why do you sign up for everything? Like, why do you need to tell them at our grocery store? what kind of eggs you buy or whatever. And I'm like, because then they get marketing data on me. And I think it's important that they know who I am and what I buy. (laughs) (laughs) Like I don't get any extra coupons for that most of the time, but it does help them. And that means that possibly the kind of butter I buy or the kind of cereal I buy, maybe they won't, you know, put it out of stock because at least they know how many people buy it. But it, you know, I mean, we, it's kind of a, a weighted system of how much data we do give about ourselves, but what it tells us about how we can be targeted more appropriately. And, and I think the whole targeting thing, and this is probably a completely different podcast episode, <laughs> is is really challenging. I mean, if you look in in the European Union, particularly with GDPR, um, but also in California now, mm-hmm. um, there's this real push towards privacy. Yes. And yet many of the people you talk to get really annoyed by ads that aren't targeted yes um and so you've got this 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 two kind of converse things that that, that are fighting people said they want to have relevant ads they don't want things that are not relevant but they don't really want people to understand what they want mm-hmm. um, and they're almost a little bit nervous about advertising being too effective i think um and then you get that companies who abuse the data and i think that you know, that, that bottom 5% really causes problems for the 95% of companies that probably using the data in a, a much more ethical and fair way. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. It is, it's kind of a mixed bag of tricks. You know, it's like, you don't want to be talking about something and know your phone is listening and then have an ad for that because we know that happens. <laughs> but at the same time, if I get, if I get something in the, you know, in my uh, junk mail or in my email and it's clearly not for me, you know, like things that they send me, you know, for, you know, products for men. And I'm like, okay, by now, do you not know that despite the fact that my name is Michael, I'm a woman? I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't think it's a big secret, but <laughs> you're right. I think we could talk for hours on that. Yeah. Oh, Mike, this is fantastic. I think we've already gone over time. Clearly I got lost in the uh, the moment with this. Hey, I know we're going to have all of your contact information on the show notes, but in case somebody wants to look you up right now and learn more about you and what you do, what's the best way for them to find you? So probably the easiest way to actually find me is to go onto LinkedIn. And if you search for Mike Maynard and Napier, N-A-P-I-E-R, um, that should bring me up. Um, you can also go to our website, which is napierb2b.com. Um, and then if you're in marketing and interested in marketing technology, um, we have our own podcast, which is uh, Marketing B2B Technology. Um, and we're, we're really taking our baby steps now compared to shock your potential. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we were talking earlier and I'm terrified about the idea you're trying to do a, a, an episode every day. Um, that's such hard work. Uh, we're trying two a month. So you can probably squeeze it in just between uh, episodes of shock your potential. <laughs> it's just a process, Mike. We just created the process and we follow it. <laughs> a workflow, I think the Germans would call it. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? So I think my my last word of wisdom about marketing would be to be really careful about numbers. Um, numbers always feel like they're authoritative, but actually numbers can be very, very meaningless. So, um, you know, a couple of examples. Um, we often see people running Google ads and uh, campaigns and they've not looked at where they're targeting the ads. 
Um, and so, I mean, literally I had companies where I could list the top 10 countries that are driving clicks from Google ads and they've sold nothing in any of the countries. Mm -hmm. So I think look beyond the first number, look into it in more depth mm -hmm. um, and things like click through rates, they're just click throughs. Then they don't mean anything particular. Don't attach a lot of, um, you know, value to them. Um, so I think that's really important to, you know, to, to go beyond that. And then secondly, just try and understand what's going on. And, and a great example would be, you know, people talk about retargeting ads and anyone into marketing technology will, will have heard about retargeting, you know, mm -hmm. someone goes to your website, they must be interested in your product. So therefore you must want to advertise to them. Mm -hmm. And, and these, these marketing technology pitches, they all sound brilliant. But when people come to me and say that, then actually I'll say, well, we've got something on our website, which is a smart objective generator. So you can generate objectives that fit within the smart framework. Mm -hmm. Anyone doing any kind of, you know, any students listening, it's great to make sure your objectives are, are smart, recommend you go on the site to look at it. Um, and actually a huge amount of traffic is students and, and people who have to generate smart objectives who have nothing to do with marketing. Um, and so for me to retarget those people would be a waste of time. So again, right. you know, look beyond the numbers, look beyond the sale when people talk about marketing technology and try and really think through stuff and think of things in the real world rather than sticking on the numbers side. And that's that's quite a lot to say for, for someone who's an engineer. <laughs> I like have you just gone bold out there and said, you know, in the beginning, <laughs> we talked about how numbers are important. Right now, just let them go. <laughs> no, that's not what you said, but beware. <laughs> yeah. Beware of numbers. That's what I wrote. I think that'll be yeah. your show title. Beware of numbers. Beware of the numbers, yeah. Yes, because you're absolutely right, because numbers in and of themselves are meaningless. And if the numbers aren't aligned to the end result, then you're probably looking in the wrong direction. So, Mike, thank you so much. Excellent advice today. I have really enjoyed our conversation. We'll perhaps have to have you back and we'll just talk about bullseyes after that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.